Church, y'all know something? Over the last nearly quarter of a century, (laughs) over the last nearly quarter of a century, and some of y'all are sitting there like, all right, quarter of a carry the one, track the... Over the last quarter of a century, we as Westmead Baptist Church have been blessed with the consistency of one Miss Julie Buckley. Now, this month, oh yeah, you might, you might do that again in just a minute. This month is a minister appreciation month and we're taking time to recognize God's faithfulness and how he has called our staff here to serve and lead our, our congregation for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and today, we are going to talk about Miss Julie Buckley. And as Miss Julie comes on up, uh, I told Julie, I said, Julie, I want you to just come up and share how God led you to Westmead. So Julie, if you get up here and say, he led me down I-20, that doesn't count, all right? Because you, you pulled that joke on me one day, and I'm not going to let that one fly. So Julie's going to come share with you uh, a little bit about how God called her. Here's some things you need to know about Julie. Uh, how many of you made it into the building today? Mm-hmm. Probably because Julie, every Sunday and every Sunday night and every Wednesday, opens and unlocks the building and then turns around and locks it up afterwards. So uh, if you came in this morning, you have a reason to thank Julie before you leave. Uh, she is also an avid fan of Dr. Pepper, as her Sunday school class has demonstrated this morning. Uh, I was hoping they'd have 24 Dr. Peppers for 24 years, but I think there's a few more than that, but you're okay with. She's an avid, avid OU Boomer Sooner fan, but she was a fan before that other guy got there to be quarterback, for the record. (laughs) So all you bandwagon people, she was way before you. Uh, And she loves missions. She loves missions, but you know what? She loves Westmead, and she loves Jesus. And she's going to share a little bit of how God called her here to lead and serve amongst us. So Julie, tell us all about it. Woo. Well, 24 years ago this month, only 24 This years, week. This week, yeah. I walked through those doors over there. Now, they looked a little bit different then because they looked exactly like those because they led straight to the outside. But I came through those doors, and my first thought was, wow, this is a beautiful place. And then I thought, what is God going to do here? And how am I going to be a part of it? There was a big, huge wooden pulpit here. I have to say, I kind of like that. You can hide behind that a little bit better. (laughs) Um, At that time, I was on church staff as preschool minister, and I was also teaching first grade in a private school. Um, I had surrendered to ministry when I was 14, had gone to Oklahoma Baptist University, and then on to Southwestern Seminary. I love the Lord, the church, children, missions, and my almighty God had opened doors for me to serve him, and I was grateful for that. And I knew that it was time to go into full-time ministry. I love teaching, and I love doing that, but I knew God was calling me um, to full-time ministry. So I put my resume out. Through, the, through Southwestern, and I didn't put any um, reservations on it. My mother told me, which she had told me this when I surrendered to ministry when I was 14, she said, I'd rather you be across the world and in God's will than right beside me outside God's will. Mm. 
And so I started um, seeking where the Lord wanted me, and I heard from a lot of places. But then I got a phone call, Jackie Burney. You know, Jackie has a pretty unique voice. The first people I talked to were Jackie, Agnes Farish, and Mike Baker. And they just expressed that they had a strong desire for a vital children's ministry here at Westmead, and they wanted to hire their first children and preschool minister. I was drawn to a people who loved Jesus and who desired that for their children. They wanted to impact their community with the gospel, and they had a plan to do that, and I like that. So here I came. We've done life together, from Mother's Day out and Parents' Night out to now Young at Heart, to hearing, I was saved last night, Miss Julie. Amen. Through Sunday school, Awana, kids' worship, from the annex to the king's place, trips and camp, Water wars, shaving cream, missions here and afar, ministry. I found out Jesus uses all things to bring people to him. From grape Kool-Aid to ice cream to Frisbees to music to dominoes to the word of God to people in all walks of life. We've cried together and we've laughed together. We've stayed up all night and we've worked all day. But I really never consider this work. I love seeing the fruits of ministry. That's one of the advantages of staying somewhere a long time. I've watched us grow up and some of us, we've grown out a little bit. That's why I wish this wouldn't hope it was here a little bit more, you know. Um, We've seen salvations. We've seen graduations. We've seen, I've been called to ministry, Miss Julie. I got that job I wanted. I had prayers answered. We are Westmead. We have seen God at work in ways that we never dreamed about. And all the things that he has allowed me to do, I am grateful. God's calling is not stagnant. It's not a one-time thing. He keeps asking us to say yes to him because that's what his call is all about. It's not about going into full-time Christian service. You do that when you say, I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. About four years ago, God began a calling in my life. I love this church. I have always wanted what is best for it. I really didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what God was going to do, but I knew he was going to do mighty things. I was in a crisis of faith at that time. I had gone through a hard time in my life. And I just came to the point where I just laid it all down before Jesus. And I said, God, I don't know if you're calling me away from Westmead. I really thought he was because I didn't think that I was the best that I could be. And that's what I wanted for Westmead. I've always wanted that. So I just said, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. 
If you need me to leave, I will. Because I want this church to be what you desire. Ephesians 3.20 is one of my favorite verses. My mentor, one of my mentors in the faith many, many years ago, we shared this verse together. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. More than I could imagine, more than I ever dreamed, God's plan. So I went to the personnel and Brother Scotty and we talked together. And I didn't know that at that same time that I was struggling, that I was looking for what God wanted, that they were looking at that too. Now that part didn't surprise me, but they came up with a plan for me. They looked at what I did outside of children's ministry. We didn't even know what to call it, really, to tell you the truth. So we finally came up with pastoral care and missions. The question still is, as I walk this place, and I do come in early, and I walk these halls, and I pray, and I walk past rooms and places, and I still ask, what is God going to do here, and what is my place? God is still answering Keep saying yes to what God calls you to do. I get to serve with the most incredible guys and the most incredible people that God has ever called. So I love you, Westmead. I thank you for putting up with me for 24 years. (laughs) And I thank you for the opportunity to serve in whatever way God calls us to do it because that's what he does in our life. He calls us and he just asks us to say yes to him. So let's say yes to him and see what he has for the future. Thank you. (laughs) So this coming Friday will be 24. It'll be 24 years on the 25th of October. Yes. How about that? How about that? So next year will be 25 on 24, or we just want to do 25 on 25 next year. (laughs) 25 years next year. That's a quarter of a century. I know. I'm old. Mm. I thought she said you started working here when you were 12. 12, yes. That's yeah. right. Well, I want you to share with you our young at heart, who are our oldest teenagers in our congregation, uh, got together, and there's a little bit of extras, uh, and got you just a, a, some appreciation to say that they love you, we love you, and we're so thankful for you, and here's to another 24 years. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. You get those Dr. Peppers afterwards. That'll be good. That'll be good. You know, my favorite thing about our staff is, is if somebody were to say to them, now, what do you do at Westmead? Their answer would be, whatever God wants. I love that. I love that. And you heard a little bit about that in her story as she, she referenced Ephesians 3. Why don't you go ahead and turn to Ephesians 3? That's kind of ironic that that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, I want you to go ahead and, and invite you to turn there. On Wednesday nights, my uh, life class is called uh, Praying at the Crossroads. And uh, we talked about this this past Wednesday night about how uh, when people gather together, when they are united, when they have one prayer uh, that you see God do and answer that prayer in mighty and unique ways. And I, I, I rehash what Julie said when she walked in here. Uh, and this is part of her story. One of her first things that she did when she came to Westmead was pray this. She prayed, God, what do you want to do here? And please let me be a part of it. <laughs> 
And I thought, what an example, what a, what a great prayer for Julie to pray. But at the same time, what a great prayer for all of us to pray. Not necessarily when we walk into this room, but as we look at Westmead, as we look at what God wants and desires to do through Westmead, for us as a church body to say, God, what do you want to do here at Westmead? What do you want to do here in our community, in this part of Decatur, in this part of Morgan County? What do you want to do here? And God, whatever it is, please let me be a part of it. What if we as a church all prayed that? Do you think God would do something with that? I do. So I love that example of prayer. So that's why I want us to look at this Ephesians 3 passage, because we see Paul who voiced a prayer for the church in Ephesus. He was praying for the Ephesians. Uh, So let's look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Uh, I want us to see what he writes about here. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, I know we just read 14 through 21, but as we dive into this passage and kind of unpack it a little bit, I actually want to start there with the last two verses in verse 20 and 21. I want us to look at how good God is. I want us to see that before we go back and look at the first part. So let's look at this. And I'm just going to give you a hint. I don't know what your lunch plans are. Honey, I know where he's going with that. Uh, I'm just going to let you know something. We could have like a eight-week series on this one sentence in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You know what? Let's look at that for a minute. What does that mean? You can do more than all we can ask or imagine. Let me ask you a question. Just just think about it for a minute. Turn off the I'm here to listen and I want you to think. What are you asking God for? Don't answer out loud, but just what are you asking God for? Like, let's get real. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God to do? What are you asking God to do in your life? What are you asking God for out of this life? What are you wanting God to do? What are you asking God? Are you seeking salvation? Are you asking God for salvation for a a friend or a family member? Are you asking God about a, a crisis that you or your family are in? What are you asking God for? Are you asking God for healing? Are you asking God for redemption? Are you asking God for forgiveness? I'm asking you, I need you, to, I need you to come up with your answer, and hopefully it might be more than one thing. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? 
Because according to this passage, he is able. He says he's able to do more than what you ask for. What are you asking God for? Because he can do more than that, if you know that. It almost makes you think, maybe we're not asking enough. Maybe it's not the salvation of that family member. Maybe it's the salvation of my whole family. Because he can do more than just one family member. Maybe it's just not that one crisis that you're dealing with at work. Maybe it's your whole job that he desires revival to break out through you. Maybe we're not asking big enough. Whatever it is we're asking God for, he can do more. But what else can he do? It says more than you can ask or imagine. Now, I grew up with a very active imagination. Very active imagination. Uh, I played with toys probably longer than I should have because that's the only way I could actually get on a battlefield or, you know, fight space robots or something, you know. I had a very active imagination. And it's followed me into adulthood uh, that sometimes, and uh, <laughs> I'm scared to say this out loud because I don't want y'all to, like, get nervous about me, but sometimes I can just be, like, totally by myself in a place or in a situation, and I just start laughing. Because, like, I'm, I'm seeing something or I'm living something out, and I'm like, what if it went like this? And then I kind of play it out in my head, and it gets hilarious, and then it makes everyone else in the room nervous, and they leave. Uh, and then suddenly I have silence and peace, so you should try it sometime, especially if you're a parent. It's, 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 one, it's, it's, it's I have an active imagination. God's Word just says that He's able to do more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. I love when we get together and whether we're here or in your Sunday school class or your small groups or a deacon's meeting or a, or a life class and somebody says, could you imagine what would happen, what God could do if this? Y'all ever heard somebody say that? Raise your hand. If you've ever heard somebody ask that, could you imagine what God could do? He can do more than you can imagine, church. We put that in the context of like, well, it probably won't, but wouldn't it be neat to imagine? God's word just said he is able to do more than you can ask or you can imagine. Or than you can imagine. You know, I could imagine probably 10 years ago people saying there's just no way. There's no way in this lost and dying world that we're in. There's no way we can get the gospel in schools and win one person to Jesus the way the schools are the way they are. And 10 years later, first priority, Larry, what's the number? In 10 years, how many decisions have y'all seen of children in schools, students in schools responding to Christ? What's the number? 4,675. It's bigger than we can imagine, church. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate that. It's bigger than we can imagine. Ah, can you imagine one student? Well, why don't we imagine 4,000 students? He's bigger. He's able to do more than we can imagine. What are we imagining here when it comes to God? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your prayers? What are the things that roll around in your head that you as an adult or you as a student think, you know what, I don't need to tell anybody about that. It just sounds ridiculous. Not to God. Because it's not just what you imagine. He's like, I can do more than that. If. I can do more than you ask. I can do more than you can imagine. Just in that one verse, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Then, wait, what is that? Hold on. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 
It doesn't just say, hey, I can do more than you can ask or you can imagine. No, it says he can do immeasurably more than all we ask. You know why it says all there? Because believe it or not, our God is not restricted by anything. There are no limitations. There are no boundaries that he has to bump up against and be like, oh, sorry, you know that prayer request? You just asked a little too many too many things this time. We're going to have to wait till next cycle. It says all we ask, all we can imagine. It's not just part of what we desire. It's all of it, church. All of the desires of your heart, all of the thoughts in your mind. God is able. God is able. All. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Hold on, wait, what what does that say? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably what? More? More than all? Hold on, now all is everything, isn't it? There's like two of y'all, the rest of y'all praying about it. I'm okay with human interaction, it's good. All is, 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 all? We're at the football game Friday night, having a good time. I was sitting with a, a lovely family, go to our church, and uh, their, their student kept coming to them, and every time they started running up them stairs, dad was saying, oh, they want more money. <laughs> they want some hot chocolate, they want a hot dog, they want more money, here we go, here we go. And he's like, nudge his wife, honey, get your purse. He's like, we don't have any more, we gave you all that we had. We have limitations, every single one of us, we have limitations, but we just saw that God says he's able to do more than all, more than all, which means that all of our imagination and all of our questions and all of everything that we can come up with combined, God still says, is that all? Is is that it? Is that all you can do? Because I can do more. He is able to do more. If he's able to do more than all, and all is all we got, that means that God is able to do things that we can't even comprehend, church. Shouldn't that get us a little excited? If we truly believe that we're here to reach Decatur, Alabama with the gospel, it's real easy to be like, I just don't know how we're going to do it. Good. Let's start asking. Let's start imagining. And then let's start realizing that he can do all of that and more. That's the God we serve. We serve a more God. What an incredible verse. Now to him who is able to do a measurably more than all we ask, all we ask or imagine. Isn't that good? Hold up. Now to him who is able to do more than all we ask. Is that what y'all says? This is when everyone looks at their Bible together. Now to him who is able to do more. Is that what yours says? What? Oh, two of y'all says immeasurably more. Far more abundantly? Abundantly? Is there a word before more that references what kind of more in your Bible? It should be. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond. Woo! Come on. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. I love the fact it's immeasurable. I love the fact it's immeasurable. We kind of exaggerate a lot of times in our human vernacular and we kind of expound on things where it's like, man, I can't tell you how many times my kids ask me to take them to the bathroom during the movie. I mean, we come up with all these things. But this is when we talk about immeasurable, we're talking immeasurable. We're talking infinite possibilities here. We're talking about there's no way to imagine 
what God can do with immeasurably more. When we talk about immeasurable, we're not talking about a thing that can be judged and determined. We're talking about something that doesn't just measure how much change has happened. It doesn't just measure how far we've come. The immeasurably more is that which transforms, doesn't measure anything in human standards. It transforms something that wasn't into something that is. Thus your salvation from death to life. It's not, well, I'm not a lot less dead than I was because of Jesus. No, you are alive in Christ immeasurably more than you could possibly imagine. It's not just a measurable death, a little bit of death, a lot of bit of death, whole lot of death. Oh, he's just really, really dead. No, no, it's death to life immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Guys, we're just on one verse. Get comfortable today. What? Oh, okay, yes, thank you. Oh, it's an emergency. Sorry, I gotta go. It's funny how funny people answer your phone before it rings. Immeasurably more transforms. I want to read to you an example that John Phillips shared of how God immeasurably transforms not just our lives, but our plans. Because measurable, we do, we do a lot of measurable. This is immeasurably more. I want to read this to you. Here's the example. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wrote to the saints there about his desire to visit Rome and how often he had intended to come to Rome, found in Romans 1. But God always seemed to hinder him. Why? Because God was doing immeasurably above all that Paul could ask or imagine. By hindering Paul, God caused him to write to the Romans, thus giving us Paul's doctrinal masterpiece in the Bible. How impoverished the church would have been through the centuries if Paul had simply gone to Rome and had never written to the church in Rome. But that was not all God did. In the end, he sent Paul to Rome in chains. How could that be viewed as doing abundantly above all that Paul could ask or think. Surely Paul never asked to go to Rome as Nero's prisoner, accused of high treason and facing the possibility of a terrible death. But out of that imprisonment came the epistles to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and Philemon. Not to mention Paul's bold witness that reached into the palace and into the ranks of the powerful Praetorian guard. Truly, he could write, I would should understand, brothers, that the thing that happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Only eternity will reveal how marvelously God has answered all our prayers. And we thought that he had ignored them. He has some wonderful surprises waiting for us on the other side of the sea. God's infinite power is inexhaustible in its ability to enable us immeasurably more. Paul was just trying to get to Rome. But because God had immeasurably more for him, we have a majority of our New Testament in these books that were written because God had bigger plans. He transforms our plans Believer in Christ, how effective has your, God, has, your, has your witness been for the gospel? How effective has your testimony been in reaching your coworkers and your family members and your friends and your neighbors? How effective is your testimony? Because God is offering you the invitation to make it immeasurably more than what we can do with it. 
He can transform not just our lives, but our plans and our words and our actions when we trust him. Why can he do all of these things that we just talked about? Because of the power of the work of God in our lives. The power of work of God in us that is already matching what God is doing around us. And when we see God's power lived out, when we allow God to use us and to be glorified through our lifestyles and our actions, that's when we start seeing these things. No wonder Paul in the next verse writes about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in these things because he's already seen it. Now, now that we see how good God is, let's back up to the first part of the text, all right? Look at this. We'll just start in verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Did you see that? that is, that's, that's called irony there. I, I was in English class one time. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's kind of funny, but it's also kind of humbling that puts you in the sense of like, man, this surpasses knowledge, but I want you to know this kind of love that you can't know. But I want you to experience it. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is an amazing passage, church. Paul is praying that the church of Ephesus can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We just established the goodness of God. But let's look at the love of Christ. First thing he says there is the width. How wide is Jesus' love? You ever thought about it? How wide is the love of Jesus? Is it wider than the sea? Is it wider than the earth? Is it wider than the expanse of the sky? How wide is the love of God? Is it wider than our universe? Is it wider than every galaxy that's ever been discovered? Is God's love wider than this? Is the love of Christ wider than that? Like two of you said, yes, everyone else, I think you're trying to do the math on this thing. You don't have to. How wide is the love of Christ? Let's interact a little bit. East to the west. Can't be measured. Sounds like immeasurably more. Is the, is the love of Christ wider than the sea? Is the love of Christ wider than the earth? Is the love of Christ wider than our solar system? Is it wider than our galaxy? Is it wider than everything that's ever been created? You know what the opposite of wide is? Narrow. And here's what's cool. That as wide as the love of Christ is, it's not narrow, but it is narrow enough to be laser pinpointed sighted into your heart. Every single person that has ever existed on this planet, the love, the width of the love of Christ is enough to encompass and engulf them if they so choose to accept it. It's not narrow, 
but it become, become just like that. It's a personal, real, intimate love. It's wider than anything we could possibly imagine. It is not narrow because it is not limited in scope. He loves those who are lost. The width of the love of Christ is wide enough. If it's wide enough that everything y'all just said, then it is wide enough to engulf those who are lost. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's wide enough to engulf those who are saved. The love of Christ is wide enough that it's still... Can you imagine that God's love is so wide that it's still wide enough that God loves those who have already been separated from Him? You ever thought about that? God's love was wide enough. The love of Christ was wide enough that it included Caiaphas. God's love was wide enough that it included Joseph Stalin. That the love of Christ was wide enough to include Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden. We don't like thinking about that because we label these people as enemies, but you know the love of Christ is wide enough that includes all of that. You know how I know that for sure? Because it's wide enough to include me. I'm no better than any of these guys. How, how wide is the love of Christ? It's wide enough to include every single human ever and more. He says how wide and how long. How long is Jesus' love? Ever thought about that? How long is Jesus' love? When did it start? When did Jesus' love start? Did it start the day you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Good answer. (laughs) Did it start the day you were born? Did it start in the New Testament when we see Jesus enter the scene? It started when God created man. Right? What? No? It started before that? It started when God created the heavens and the earth. When did God's love start? God's love, the love of Christ, has been since before all of that. When does it end? Does it end, does it end when we die? Does it end when all of humanity dies? Does it end when Jesus returns? When does the love of Christ end? It never will. It never will. It never started because it's always been. It'll never stop because it always will be. How long is the love of Christ? It says height. That you may know, that you may be able to grasp how high the love of Christ is. How high is Jesus' love? You ever thought about that? Where is Christ? Seated at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? If we read the Bible, it says that there are galaxies that are just spinning at his feet. That Jesus, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that the whisper of a word that 10,000 times 10,000 angel armies would respond to his answer. And they're waiting for the signal, by the way, church. 
He is seated on the throne next to God, the Father. But yet, He is passionately pursuing us here on earth. How high is that? Is He too high to see us? No. He is not out of view. We are not forgotten by Him. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's how high the love of Christ is because even where he is, he is still pursuing us. How deep is Jesus' love? You know how deep Jesus' love is? Deeper than the deepest thing. That's a pretty good answer. Because I told you he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And he left there and went to the grave because of me, because of you, because of our sin. The depth of the love of Christ doesn't just span from earth to the throne room of God. It goes beneath. It goes all the way to the depths of death. Because of the depth of the love of Jesus, he became the sin bearer for all of humanity. You realize that? All of humanity. He became the sin bearer for all of humanity. That's how deep the love of Christ is. You know, when you're sitting on a throne and there's galaxies and armies of angels and yet you choose to come to earth and every miracle you ever performed, every healing, ever feeding, everything you've ever done was for everyone around you and not for yourself. That's the depth of the love of Jesus. That when your own creation that you spoke into existence spits in your face and mocks you to your face and beats you and crucifies you, yet you do nothing about it other than forgive them, that is the depth of the love of Jesus. So deep that when you become the sin bearer for all humanity and it kills you, You surrender your life to it for the sake of the glory of God the Father. You willingly do that. That is the depth of the love of Jesus for you, for me. His love went from glory to the grave. That's how deep his love is. And we can sit all day long. That's why he says that you can know something that surpasses knowledge. Because the only way to ever know what this is like is for you yourself to experience that love. And hear me out, church. This is not just a like, well, you know, I already did that one time. I gave my life to Christ and got baptized. That's the beginning. Have you experienced the height and the width and the depth and the length of the love of Christ in your life today? Do you practice it? Do you pursue it? Do you embrace it? Or is this just something that you think is a box you checked however many years ago? This is every day God's abundant love for us in Christ Jesus. I can't explain it to you, church. We picked a passage that I can't explain to you today. But I can help you understand it in only one way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Go ahead.
that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. That's the goodness of God the Father, that he loves me that much, that he loves you that much, that he loved the church at Ephesus that much, that he loved Paul that much. Has that love ever made a difference in your life? Are you going to let that love make a difference in your life today? It's not about you. It's to the glory of God above. God, what do you want to do here? I got a feeling God says, I want to show people my love for them through my truth. And Julie, may we all join with you and say, God, please let me be a part of it. That's the prayer, church. Are you willing to pray it? Are you willing to do something about it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's, it's impossible for us to know how much you love us. It's impossible for us to fully grasp all that unless we've experienced it. And God, there are, there are people in this room who have never experienced that love. And Father, today, may they know that the author of their life, the author of their story, wrote it for the sake that they would be loved by you. That God, you can do so much and you love so well. And God, it all culminates in the fact that you take us from death to life through forgiveness of sin, the receiving of the pardon offered through the blood of Jesus. And God, if there's somebody in this room today that knows it's time for them to respond to Jesus, then Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, may they not hesitate, may they not be afraid to walk down the aisle, to come talk to me, to come talk to somebody seated here on the front and say, I want to know Jesus. God, may the enemy or anything else not hinder them from responding in that way. God, there are people in this room that profess Jesus as Lord, but they're not living it. They're not pursuing the love that is, being, that is pursuing them. God, because they're pursuing the love that this world has to offer, a love that will spoil, a love that is rotten, a love that will not last. God, today, will you open their eyes and see the wall they keep running into and help them recognize that your grace and your goodness and your mercy is so much greater than that wall. And God, that they would respond by laying it down and returning to you, Father. God, whatever it is you're calling us to, there are people in this room called missions. There are people in this room called to serve. There are people in this room called to preach and proclaim. God, whatever it is today, as we pursue and be pursued by this great love, by a good God, by the love of Christ, for his glory and sake and purpose and power, then, Father, may we respond in obedience, whatever that looks like, for the glory of God the Father, so that we may not just know on knowledge. However you're calling us today, Father, give us the strength to respond even now as we stand. God, we thank you. We love you. I invite you to stand as we enter a time of invitation.